what if, oh, I'm like, oh, that didn't look right. What, what if we don't go to heaven when we die? What, what if we don't go to heaven when we die? You might, Mike, that, that sounds kind of odd. Isn't that our goal? Isn't that what we talk about? It's like, hey, when, when life is over here, don't I go to heaven when I die? Uh, and then th- th- that might be true. Uh, we're not, not sure. As you look at scripture, it doesn't give us the, the exact mechanics of how all that happens, right? It, you know, sometimes we think that God just is going to whisk us away to another place. As if Jesus just kind of comes in and he arrives and whew, we are gone. But the more I look at scripture, there's more that I see that, that God's desire might be to first set things right with his original creation. That what if instead of, we go, of us going to heaven when we die, what if heaven came down to us? I, th- I think we begin to see a little bit more of that in scripture. When you uh, look at the Lord's prayer, what does it say? Jesus says, pray that uh, God's will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Our job is to help bring heaven to earth. And I think we're going to see that a little more as we look at our scripture for today. That our, our job is to make heaven more of a reality here. And does anyone remember the Heaven's Gate cult back in the late 90s? Uh, yeah, they, they, uh, these were a group of people that believed that an alien spaceship was on its way to Earth. And it was traveling behind the Hale-Bopp comet. And that when it got to earth, it was going to kind of stay here and that we would, uh, we would go and we would make our way into this spacecraft and be taken away. So much so that in 1990, the spacecraft was going to take them to the kingdom of heaven. So in March 1997, all dressed in matching dark clothes, wearing Nike sneakers. I guess God's a big fan of Nike. I don't know, a Phil Knight fan maybe. Uh, they took part in this mass suicide. And their belief was that they would leave these bodily containers. That's what they called their, these bodily containers. And they would enter this spacecraft. They'd pass through heaven's gate and be transported into a higher physical existence. It's easy for us to hear that and listen to that and chuckle and think, and think how uh, misguided and delusional that kind of sounds. That seriously, God's going to come in a spaceship and take us somewhere else. But sometimes when, sometimes the way we picture and we talk about heaven, it, it, sometimes I think those maybe on the, you know, those in the world, those who are outside the church can kind of look at us and go, that sounds kind of, kind of nuts. And maybe that sounds kind of hokey. And, and so maybe we, we, we go, well, well, this is what the Bible says. This is what the Bible says. But what if they give no credence to scripture? So some, some of what we say sounds kind of, out there because some of the way we talk about heaven sounds like this out of body experience more than a physical place that we will go and be. So when, when we talk about when Jesus appears, he's just going to whisk us away. But what, what if when Jesus comes back, it's not to take us to heaven, but to bring heaven to us. What, what if when Jesus comes back, it's not to whisk us away to heaven, but to bring heaven down to us. Now that can sound pretty unreal too, right? I mean, we look around and it, we wonder how much more our world can take. And we look around and there's, there's wars and there's conflict and there's uh, disruption, there's disputes and there's so much uh, hate and there's so much uh, war. And what if our world is just too far gone? 
We just have too few resources here. Maybe it's easy to think that our world is past the point of no return. And it's now destined to death and destruction. But what if there was still hope? What if there was still hope? What if Jesus' prayer that God's will be done on earth as it is in heaven is yet to be answered? What if we are, are waiting in this meantime and, and we're just waiting for that day when, when it will be answered and present with us? What if we don't go to heaven when we die, but what if heaven comes down to us? See, the resurrection of Jesus ought to change everything we understand. It ought to change about all the, a lot of these different facets of things that we think about. What if, what if, when we, what if we look at, I think it should change the way we look at baptism. That baptism is not just some magical moment that we enter the water and we go under and we come back up and, and, and we clap and we celebrate. Baptism is not just a helpful visual aid, but what if we looked at baptism as a place where heaven and earth interlock? Where heaven and earth meet, heaven and earth connect together in this moment where old creation becomes new creation. What if it changes the way we look at communion? We hold in our hand a simple piece of bread and a little cup of juice. But it's not just bread and juice, but we take it in anticipation of the marriage supper with the Lamb. We take it in anticipation of one day taking together with all the saints from all time to celebrate the death of Jesus that paid the price for our sin. And we celebrate his resurrection as we are resurrected into new life with him. It's a little bit of Christmas and a little bit of Easter all at the same time. But I get ahead of myself. Turn with me, if you would, to Revelation chapter 21. If you can't find Revelation, go to the very end of your Bible. Come back just a little bit. Revelation 21 is, is very, very near. It's the second to last chapter of your Bible. So it's all the way on that end. And John, as he's writing, he gives us this revelation, this view, this picture into heaven. What the end will often be, what, what the end is to, to be like. And as you read through Revelation, it's fantastical. It is mind-blowing. It's a little frightening and quite a bit overwhelming, right? And as we read these things, sometimes we get, maybe your blood pressure goes up a little bit. Like, what, what, how, what's all this happening? How is all these things going on? And we're not going to talk about dates and times and orders of events. Uh, my, but my best understanding of much of Revelation is that John is, is trying to give us a heavenly view of things using human words. See, most everything in Revelation is a metaphor. It's a picture of what life will be like, what, what, what it will be like. But I believe instead of Revelation giving us a linear timeline, this is going to happen, then this is going to happen, then this is going to happen. It's not so much a linear timeline, but it's more uh, uh, three views. It's more cyclical. It's, it's three views of the same events in intensifying fashion. So the same thing is it's one timeline, but he's looking at it from this and then eat with each turn around these same events. They get a little more intense. They get a little bit more in depth and it gets uh, the, 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 the uh, intensity rises just a bit more. And you might go, Mike, what do all these symbols mean? And I, I, I can't begin to unlock all those. But what I do know is that they would have, 
made somewhat sense to the original audience. So to, to those that John is writing, they would understand what these symbols mean. They would understand uh, a bit more of what John is trying to say. And so in our 21st century minds, as we begin to look at that and begin to try to understand what that is, we, it, it, Paul's right, Paul, John is writing to a vastly different audience in a different place with different stresses, with different uh, influences in their life. And so John, as he writes, he's not writing to scare them. He's not writing to, 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 to frighten them. He's writing these words to comfort them. Some say that Revelation is written to afflict the comfortable and to comfort the afflicted. To afflict the comfortable and to comfort the afflicted. And so wherever, wherever we find ourselves today, maybe if we're comfortable, as you read through Revelation, maybe something needs to be stirred in you to live a life of greater holiness. But maybe. Maybe as you read and you see the intensity of those things, maybe it's not to stir you up. Maybe it's to give you comfort. That at the end, we win. And so with that in mind, let's hear the words that John wrote for us at the beginning of Revelation chapter 21, verses 1 through 8. This is what he says. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth have passed away, and there's no longer any sea. I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride, beautifully dressed for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, look, God's dwelling place is now among the people and he will dwell with them. They will be his people and God himself will be with them and be their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes. There'll be no more death or mourning or crying, or pain, for the old order of things has passed away. He, he, who has seated, he who was seated on the throne said, I am making everything new. And he said, write, down, write this down, for these words are trustworthy and true. He said to me, it is done. I am the alpha and the omega, the beginning and the end. To the thirsty, I will give water without cost from the spring of the water of life. Those who are victorious will inherit all this and I will be their God and they will be my children. But the cowardly, the unbelieving, the vile, the murderers, the sexually immoral, those who practice magic arts, the idolaters, and those who lie, all liars, they will be consigned to the fiery lake of burning sulfur. And this is the second death. You begin to wonder, if you, even if you haven't read Revelation here recently, you sometimes wonder, how do we get, how do we get from, from all that chaos to this? Well, you've got to go back to Revelation 19. Revelation 19 and 20, they kind of uh, wrap everything. Up. It's like the final scene of life on earth. This is, is like life on earth's last hurrah. We get through the chaos of the seven seals and the seven trumpets and the seven bowls. And then in Revelation 19, John sees a white horse with a rider called Faithful and True. And his name is the Word of God. If you know anything about the writing of John, Word of God doesn't mean words. It refers to a person. It's not just the words that he writes. It's not the word the Holy Spirit gives him to write. The Word of God is not a thing. It's a person. And that is Jesus Jesus comes back as his rider, as his warrior on a white horse. 
this could maybe be a further explanation of what we looked at last week in First Thessalonians 4, right? So we see, you know, the trumpet call of God, Jesus appears, and all these things are happening. Well, how does he appear? See, we, sometimes we begin to, to read through, and as, we, as we've taught our children's Sunday school class, maybe we've seen pictures or movies. Uh, oftentimes, in those situations, Jesus looks a little bit more like me, maybe with darker skin tone, right? You know, we always have like this, this meek and lowly and like precious moments Jesus, right? And it's like, Jesus is like this nice guy. He's like your next door neighbor. This is, this is what Jesus looks like. But when you look at Revelation 19, Jesus doesn't so much look like me. Uh, he, he looks a little more like Nate Socks, right? Yeah, it's, it's not necessarily, you know, he, he looks much more warrior than dude next door. And so, so he, here Jesus appears and he's not coming back to shake hands. He's coming back uh, to, to beat some people down. And he's going to set things right. And what if, what if when we are in the air, it's not for a happy family reunion, but what if it's to gather together with the armies of heaven to put all of God's enemies under his feet? See, we don't sing about that. I mean, the hymns we sing don't sound like that, do they? You know, can you picture blind old Fanny Crosby singing down to pin that number? Oh, you know, Fanny Crosby, she, she, she pins hymns that are, are warm and cuddly. And, and she doesn't talk about like the, the battle that's going to occur. That Jesus comes back to, to, to defeat his enemies. Comes back as a warrior. Maybe you can picture uh, more like Charles Wesley and his massive catalog of hymns. Maybe he would uh, write a, 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 a line or two. He might pin a verse about this. But in all of his ver- songs that have all of these verses, uh, maybe that one got lost in history. And the, one, the verses that remain are maybe are palatable to the general public. See, we want to picture safe, friendly, precious moments, Jesus. But that doesn't square with the warrior we see in Revelation 19. Maybe the, the song that you've sung a time or two in church, maybe the one that fits, mo- most, uh, fits best with this picture is the Battle Hymn of the Republic. But the Battle Hymn of the Republic was not written to uh, declare one's trust in God. It was written to boost the morale of the Union soldiers in the Civil War. It was not to trust in the Lord's judgment. And so when we look at the songs we sing, the pictures we put out there, we, oftentimes it, it, we, we kind of maybe make Jesus a bit more palatable, maybe, maybe a little safer. But in the words of C.S. Lewis through his uh, uh, character, Mr. Beaver, God is not safe, but he is good. And so when Jesus comes back again, it's not going to be as this, initially as this warm figure, he's just going to hug us all and, and be about love. First, he's going to bring judgment. So you have this battle scene and, 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 and the armies of heaven overwhelm the enemies of God on earth. And you can see as the battle comes to a close, as the night dawns, as there's judgment first for Satan and his angels and then for the living and the dead. And after that, as the smoke begins to clear, the sun begins to rise on the horizon. It, 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 for those in the house, that, that, that first shot in that video is Donna saying, as the sun begins to come up, 
You can almost picture that as the sun comes up over the horizon. John looks, and what does he see? He says, I see a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth have passed away. And there's no longer any sea. There's no longer anything that divides the, the, the old from the new. In fact, the, the old has gone away, the old is done away with, and are brought into the new heaven and the new earth. And somewhere along the way, it passes away. It's no more. And we are transported. I don't know how that happens. John doesn't tell us that. But all of a sudden, we're just there, right? It just seems like we're just there. The old one passed away. It's Revelation 19 and 20. It's the last act. And now we are in our new home. Our eternal reward has come to us. And as we're there, and as we see the crown jewel, the, 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 the pride of the, of, the, of the new earth is, is the new Jerusalem. And he says, I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem coming down from God, prepared as a bride, beautifully dressed for her husband. When you, when you go to, to a wedding, does anyone really look at what the groom's wearing? I mean, pretty much, pretty much you just like check, okay, he's dressed. Boom. What's the bride wearing, Right. It's like, okay, the groom is appropriately, he's not wearing gym shorts. He's not wearing tank, tank top. He's not wearing cut off shorts. He, okay, he's wearing a suit, a tux. He's, he looks appropriate. What's the bride wearing? What's the bride wearing? Because uh, frankly, uh, we, 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 we dudes at a wedding, we're, we're, we're just a participant. The bride is, the bride's what we're there for, right? We want to, what, what is she? And, and, and that's how it is with this. John's like, you know what? You're right. You're right. You know, the, 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 the new earth, the new earth is, is, is fine, but you should see Jerusalem. You should see Jerusalem. He goes on, he describes, and there's like gems, and there's all this, and it's just mind-blowing. And, and, and I got a feeling it's going to be even more beautiful than that. And John's just like, I, it, it kind of looks like this, and it looks like this, and this one looks like this. And he, just, he uses a lot of metaphor, a lot of these pictures. This is what it's like. And John's trying to put human words around this heavenly reality. This is what it's going to be like for us. So when you see the new Jerusalem come in, to me, I, I, you see, it, for some of you, whenever I picture, I just picture it bright and all bright and beautiful. Kind of like maybe you've been on a road trip late at night and you've been traveling through, traveling like between cities. And so it's been dark out in the countryside. And as you enter this city, all of a sudden, everything is lit up, right? I mean, there's streetlights everywhere. The buildings are lit up. Everything is bright and beautiful. And John's like, that's what it's kind of like. It's just bright. It's beautiful. It is bold. And we can see it lit up from the distance as it comes to us. It's radiant like a bride. It's a beautiful city. And sometimes we look around. Some of our cities are, are older and they, they look more haggard. It looks like some of their best days might be behind them. Some of the cities that we, we see in our country are, are rough. And, but this, and then there are others that are new and they're shiny and they're bright. And there's beautiful sight lines and they're pleasing to the eye. And John's like, oh, yeah, if, you, if, you, if you think those are beautiful, just wait and see. Just wait and see because New Jerusalem tops them all. But what? What if the best part is not what is there? Right? You begin to look through and you go, man, streets of gold. You know, gates the size of, uh, that, that look like a pearl. Uh, either we're itty bitty or, or those pearls are ginormous, right? If, uh, you, you think, man, those walls with all those layers of all those, how beautiful. What if the best part of heaven is not about what is there, but who is there? So there we are. 
We're in the new Jerusalem. And then all of a sudden we hear a voice. Look, God's dwelling is with his people. No longer is God out in the distance. No longer is God somehow separate from us. God is physically present with his people. And in the end, it seems that we return to the beginning, right? To the ideal. How life was supposed to be. You go back to Genesis, you go back to the very first chapters of the Bible. And Adam and Eve walk with God. Not just we talk about walking with God. They actually walked with God in the garden. Can you imagine what that would be like? As you walk around and, and God's explaining you the beauty of this tree and how this fruit's supposed to taste and why that animal looks so weird, but it's, it's created for just this thing. And God gets to explain to us, God gets to explain to them all that he did. They walked with God until they sinned. And God had to kick them out of the garden. But God always longed to live among his people. And so as the Israelites were leaving Egypt, God appears to them and, and guides them through the desert. He was a pillar of cloud by day and a pillar of fire by night. And he would lead them through the desert. And he would, they would travel for a while and they would stop. And when they would stop, the, the, the pillar would stop and they would, they would encircle the pillar. And God lived in the middle of his people. When they came into the promised land, eventually, after many, many years, they had settled the entire region. All of a sudden, they built a temple. They built a house for God, and they built it there in the middle. They built it in Jerusalem, the main city. And it was big, and it was beautiful, and God came down, and it appears that God dwelt in that place. Or at least a part of God dwelt in that place. God has always longed to dwell with his people. With Christmas coming, one verse that always comes up at some point is John 1.14. That the word, remember the word is not words, it's not things that we read, it's not things that we write. The word, the word that John's referring to is a person. The word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. Dwelling, the dwelt, the tabernacle, all those words have the same root. That God longed to be among his people. So when, we, when the new Jerusalem arrives, best part is not what Jerusalem looks like, but who we get to inhabit Jerusalem with. And not just that, he will wipe away every tear from their eyes. Now, I think if you want to talk about maybe the Bible having a contradiction, I think there will be tears in heaven, but tears from laughter. Have you ever, have you ever heard, you know, laugh so hard like a tear? I, I think those tears will be present, but, but, no more tears of pain. No more tears of agony. No more tears of mourning, sadness. Oh, laughter, tears, happy tears. I, I think those will be present in abundance. But I think the pain of life will be gone. All the sadness, all the hurt, all the death, all the mourning, all the pain will be no more. They will be removed. Our sadness, our longing, will be removed because every day we will forever, we will be in the presence of God. The hurt that existed because of the presence of sin forever removed as we're in the presence of God forever. I love this. He who sits on the throne said, I am making all things new, making everything new. 
Yeah. So, so right now we look and we see our bodies, they're kind of broken. We look around our world and we see relationships broken. We look around and we see things, systems in our world broken. And God's like, hold on. There will come a time that I will make everything. I will make everything new. The past is all undone. Sin and temptation are no more. And I can declare this because I am the Alpha and Omega. It is done. I am the beginning and the end. Everything is under my control. Everything, he covers everything from first to last. He both completes and is the totality of everything. And then there's this picture. And to the thirsty, he will give water without cost. Maybe today you come and you yearn. Maybe there's something missing in your life. There is just, there's this hole and you keep trying to stuff other things in it. And it is like your body is, is thirsting for something. You're searching something. You're trying to make something work. And you're trying to do it all on your own. And, and the promise is that God, that, that, that God will give you water that will truly quench your thirst, but it can only be found in him. It's not in, not in our striving, not in our doing, not in our trying as best we can. It's not by human effort. It's only through the grace of God that he gives us water without cost in the spring of the water of life. See, when we run after other wells and we drink from other cisterns and we try other things to fit in our life, it just doesn't give us the life we want. It doesn't give us the hope that we want. It doesn't satisfy the same way. And Jesus, the only thing that will work, he says, is is the water that I give you. I, I am the water. I am the water of life. Come to me and drink from me and, and, and you, your, your thirst will be quenched. You will be truly satisfied. Those who come and those who drink, those are the ones who are called victorious. If you read through uh, Revelation, there is this constant theme of victory. You see it in, in the letters that those who, who, who remain, those who are faithful to the end, they will be victorious in the end. They will receive the crown of life. They will receive a new name. They will be dressed in white. You even see the martyrs and those who've gone before. There's this, when, when Lord, when will you uh, uh, restore us? When will you redeem us? When will you set uh, and he's like, hold on just a little bit longer and you will see victory. The bowls and the trumpets and the seals, they all have to come first. And then in the end, those who are faithful, those who remain, they will be victorious. God says, they'll inherit all this. All this that I have described, all this that you see, all of this will be yours for those who are victorious, who are, and you'll be called my children. It's all for you. Those who come and drink from his well, the victory is theirs. And while God is loving and God is good, heaven is not for everyone. He's not just going to open the doors to everyone just because he's loving. Because more than loving, God is holy. And so because God is holy, he he has to maintain a certain standard. He has a certain character to uphold because if he loses his holiness, he loses everything. And so what are these things, what what things we know about God? We know that he is the creator. He is the creator that he, that he made all that we see, that everything that we have comes from him. 
Everything that we have in our world to use and to put together, it all started and originated with him. And so because God is the creator of this world, he gets to set the rules for what this world is like and how this world will be run and what is right and what is wrong and and what will be rewarded and what will be punished. We see that God is creator. But but God is also, we also got to see God as the ruler. Uh, Kings and and presidents and and they, they execute the laws of the land. Their job is to, is to make sure that whatever laws are on the books are, are, are completed, are done, are upheld, for better or worse, right? Sometimes we see that, sometimes we don't. That's the role of the ruler. And so God makes the rules because he's the creator, but gets to arbitrate the rules because he's the ruler. Yeah, he makes them because he's the creator. He arbitrates them because he's the ruler. And usually that's where, the, where it ends, right? We have people who make the rules, and we have people who enforce the rules, and that's kind of the end of it. But God wears one more hat. See, God's also the redeemer. So he made a way for everyone to come back home to him. He, he made everyone, that no matter if we follow the rules or we break the rules, that we have a way to be restored again. That he is our redeemer. That we can overcome the, 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 the sins in our life. We can overcome the shortcomings in our life by putting our faith and hope and trust in him. And to those, those are the ones who are victorious, who inherit all that he sees, who be called his children, those who have chosen to continue in this way of life. They will be rewarded with heaven, with the new earth, with the new Jerusalem, with living in God's presence forever. Like I said, God is loving and God is good. Heaven is not for everyone. Heaven is not for everyone. The cowardly, the unbelieving, the vile, the murderers, sexually immoral, those who practice magic arts, the idolaters, all liars, they'll be consigned to a fiery lake of burning sulfur, the second death. And people might go, but God, but Mike, isn't God loving? Why wouldn't he accept all people into heaven? Why wouldn't he just give heaven to everyone? Because those who practice these things, they do not want to be in the presence of God. And so because God is loving, he doesn't force anything on anyone. But Mike, wouldn't they want heaven? Yeah, they probably would. But they've chosen by their actions. They've they've stated by their actions and the behavior and the statements of their life. that They don't want any part of what God has for them. And so because of that, they will also not receive the reward in heaven. It's only those who have chosen to walk in God's way, to drink from his well, will be called children of God. See the difference between those who experience the new earth. It's not their morality. It's not their virtue. It's all based on their relationship with Jesus. That as citizens of heaven, our job is not so much to get into heaven, but to take heaven with us wherever we go. See, the resurrection of Jesus is the start of God's new thing, breaking into our world, breaking into our reality. It's not that God comes and snatches his people away and takes us to another place to populate a new heaven. But God calls his people to populate earth with the life of heaven, to bring heaven to earth. And this makes the Christian life more demanding and more exhilarating. 
Because it's not just wait and see, wait until we get taken up. But it gives us a purpose in our life here. See, we are to change this place, the place where we find ourselves with the power of heaven. But unfortunately, if we take an honest look at ourselves, we often get more affected by the locals and the effect we have on them. We often are more affected and, and changed by the local environment than us changing the local environment with the power of heaven. And this probably shows that we don't understand holiness quite as much as we think because we don't understand what resurrection means. So what we want to be true in the future, we must begin to show in the present. If we want, if we want heaven in the future, we need to begin to make heaven a reality in the present. The new creation that is in us, that becomes evident in our lives and through us. We begin to affect change wherever we go, making the old creation new with the power of Jesus. So here's my, my challenge for you this week. Find a way to bring heaven to earth. Find a way to begin to bring heaven to earth. How can we begin to change the world around us with the hope that God has for us? Not so much waiting back and saying, God, come and take me away. How can we begin to help those who are here begin to experience the hope of heaven? Is it something they'll hear from us? Is it something they'll see in us? Is it something that they'll, they'll experience because of something that we do for them? What will our presence be like as we begin to show others who God is? So we can begin this new experience, the, 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 the life of heaven by, in the here and now by accepting Jesus as our Savior, by repenting of your sin, by, by realizing the path that we're on is leading us to death and destruction. But only by walking with him can we experience new life. And so we begin this journey of faith our desire ought to be to be more attuned to him. As we say, as I said earlier, in baptism, it's not something about being magical in the water. That's a place where heaven meets earth, that our old creation, our old self dies and is washed away. And we rise to walk in the newness of life where old creation is set aside and new creation is picked up. And we begin to grow into this new life. This new, as this new creation becomes more real in us. And maybe today you've walked with Jesus for years, <clears throat> but the becoming has slowed down. Maybe that new creation has kind of stalled out and is not progressing as it once did. And so maybe you need to reconnect with your Savior. Maybe you need to connect with a group of believers and, and begin to, uh, through the power of community, to, to have that new life uh, reinvigorate inside of you. We have a Bible study that meets on Sunday mornings. We have one that meets on Sunday evenings. And, and we, 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 we know that by gathering together and studying scripture that we, that we get to grow in our faith, in our community with others. And through that, through those interactions, as Solomon writes, iron sharpens iron. We begin to experience more. Like we, we have others looking at us, look at us and, and call us out and challenge us to walk more closely, to walk more faithfully with God. Maybe we need to uh, connect with our community 
by serving them. Maybe we need to connect with them by, 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 by how does God wired us? What position, what places God put us that we can be an influence for good to bring heaven to earth in our place. Whatever next step you may need to take today, you can let us know by filling out the connection card at cchmd.com slash connect. And you can mark the appropriate box. Maybe today you're kind of struggling with, with where you're at and where you want to go. And maybe you need to talk with someone. Maybe you need to pray with someone today. I'll be in the back after the service. And we can have a conversation about what next step you feel you may need to take, where God finds you, where, what, what you, maybe what you need a prayer for. And we can uh, uh, begin to walk with that, through that together. It's until the return of Jesus, let's continue working on making his kingdom more of a reality here. That that way we are better prepared for that day when he returns and heaven comes down to us. Let's pray. Father, we thank you. We thank you that we have hope beyond this life. That this place and this world is not all that there is. That we have hope beyond these days and beyond this place. That, Father, you long to make everything right. And, Father, you would welcome us into our eternal reward. Father, we look forward to that day when you come again and we will be present with you. That, Father, sin and death and temptation will be uh, gone and done away with. That, Father, our hurts, our aches, and our pains (coughs) will be no more. And we will dwell in your presence forever. In that we hope. In that we long. And so prepare us for that day. Help us prepare Uh, the world around us for that day when you make everything new. Father, we thank you for the hope that we have in Jesus. It's in his name I pray. Amen. And we're glad that you've joined us today. We uh, look forward to, I pray that you have a great Thanksgiving week. We look forward to uh, celebrating all the different things we got coming up with Christmas. So, so kind of uh, you know, be, be looking for those uh, on, in the bulletin on the count, that we can put on the calendars and uh, have a great week. And we look forward to seeing you guys next Sunday.